Hi there, everybody. I trust you are having an incredible equip, uh, enjoying God, enjoying each other, hearing God, and being equipped for the great future that we're in. I would love to have been with you over this time, but obviously we all know that that's not possible. Uh, but we've been praying for you from our side. And I do just appreciate the opportunity just to share with you today and to be involved from this level. So yeah, trust uh, you'll open your hearts. And even if it's through cameras and that, that we'll receive what it is that God has for us. And so I'm going to ask you please to turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and uh you know, we are at the end of 2020, coming to the end. I know many are keen to get out of this year and hopefully coming to a new season, new year. I think we are in a new season. But I want to tell you, the biggest lesson for me for 2020 is this. We plan, but God prevails. We plan, but God prevails. Which means, honestly, friends, we need to hold loosely to our plans. And we need to hold tightly, can I say, to the purposes of God. Making sure, again, that our plans are lining up with the purposes of God. I do want to remind you that this moment that we in and have been in has not paused the mission of God. We need to be reminded God hasn't paused what he's doing. And I want to say I think what's happened in this season is that God paused what we were doing to remind us again what he is doing and also to remind us that without him we actually cannot do anything. So it's been a good season in that reminding and I trust going forward, we won't forget that. We'll keep building His purpose, His plan towards Him and connecting with Him in and through the seasons that lie ahead. Uh, somebody said that mountaintops inspire us, but it's the valley seasons that mature us. And I think a whole lot of maturing has happened in the last six to eight months. Uh, it's been surprising for me to have you see how immature, just to be honest, the church has been, but also how much growing up the church has had to do in these last seasons. And so I do want to say let's let's lead and let's live going forward with the understanding that there's a lot of growing up, growing up that's happened and we're a stronger church of people more focused on the task and the mission, more connected to God. And again, that reset that's happened, I think is super exciting. Doesn't mean challenges don't lie ahead of us, but it does mean we're stronger because of the season we've been in. I trust you've adjusted your heart accordingly. You're finding a way in and through this incredible season and staying true to the mandate and the call. I want to say that I've realized more and more that people lose their way when they lose their why. And so I want to just read out of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9 to 21. And I'm going to use some scriptures, obviously, in this teaching. And I realize that you guys have been looking at kingdom leadership, and that's a great, great uh, topic to be looking at. Um, and I'm going to kind of bring another side towards that if I can. But whatever your role is, wherever you play, whether you carry a role in the local church or not, we are all leaders. We know that. I'm sure the guys have covered that already in their teaching with this. But, but I want to say whatever it is, we all have to stay motivated in what God's called us to. And I want to ask you, what motivates you? How do you stay motivated? It's been amazing to see how people have lost their way in this season or even leaders have began to question everything or 
believers begin to question things and almost lose their way. And I come back to this thing. We lose our way when we lose our why. And I want to bring us back to the why and then look at some specific things around ministry and leadership. But Paul shows us what motivates him. And let's face it, if we read the story of Paul and look at scripture, we realize Paul went through some interesting season. He went through good times and bad times. He truly was locked up. He was imprisoned. He was shut down. He was beaten up. He was uh, in shipwrecks and all these storms that we talk about today. He faced some stuff. And, and again, I know he was chosen by God, but he was a man. Uh, he wasn't superior to any of us. He was a man called by God and he understood some things and he stayed motivated and he explains to us what motivates him. And I think that's good for us in, in this season to understand in whatever seasons lie ahead that we'll understand more and more that these things have to keep us motivated. We can't be motivated by each other or even the mission or the mandate. We've got to come back to these things. We do these things because of what Christ has done for us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, he says, So we make it our goal to please Him, whether we are at home in the body or far away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Verse 11, since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us, so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for you, it is for God. If we are out of in our right mind, it is for you. Verse 14. For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died, and for them who was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone and the new has come. And the new is here. Verse 18, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Verse 20, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though Christ were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so five things we see here that motivated Paul that I think has to keep motivating us. And if we come back to these truths, friends, we can live and lead and flourish in all seasons, regardless of what we face. The first thing Paul says is, I do what I do because of who I serve. The fear of the Lord in verse 9 and 10. That's what motivated Paul. I do what I do because of the fear of the Lord, who I'm serving. We don't serve man. Now we're going to talk about serving serving people, but we don't serve people. We serve God. And the way we serve God is by 
connecting with people. So please hear this. We don't serve people. We don't serve man. We serve God. Serving God is the motivating factor. It's the overarching truth for all of us. You don't do what you do for the people you're involved in. You don't do what you do for the people you're leading if you lead a church or a connect group or whatever. We don't travel the world and minister and leave our families for those regions. You're not where you are for that place. You're there because you're serving God. And when you get that revelation and you keep that, friends, honestly, it makes it far easier to reach people because you're not doing it for them, you're doing it for Him. And that's what motivated Paul. And so I want to say, we must come back to this. I do what I do because of who I serve. It's Him and the fear of the Lord that motivates us. The second thing Paul says is, I do what I do because of what He's done for me. It's not just I do this because of who He is. I also do what I do. What motivates me, and I hope it's still motivating you, is what He has done for me. What Christ has done for me. Uh, Verse 14, the love of Christ, although our love for Christ is what motivates us. The love that Jesus demonstrated on the cross, Paul says, it compels us. And I wonder if you're still compelled in all seasons, lockdown, shutdown, coming out, going forward, whatever lies ahead. It's the love of Christ that compels us. Our love, His love for us and our love for Him that compels us to do what we do. Thirdly, Paul says, I do what I do because of what He's made me to be. A new creation in Christ. Verse 17. Therefore, since he died for me, since I died to myself, since I'm no longer living according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Friends, we do what we do. What motivated Paul and what should motivate us is because of who he's called us to be. We're a new creation. I'm not a bad dude who's been made good. I've been a, I'm a dead man who's been made alive in Christ. And I don't minister for position. I minister from position. And it's that position that motivates us. We are born again, friends. And we've got to keep on living in that mandate and understanding. Fourthly, Paul says, I do what I do because of what he has called me to be. The call of Christ. The ministry of reconciliation. In verse 20, Paul goes on and tells us we are ambassadors of Christ. That's what motivates us. Not the church, not our ministries, not our callings. This incredible call of being ambassadors chosen to represent Christ and the kingdom here on earth. Whatever your role is in the church, let that motivate you. As a follower of Jesus, we are ambassadors and that's why we stay motivated. We don't do this for others. We do this because of who we're representing and what He's called us to. And then he says this, and fifthly, I do what I do because of what He has entrusted to me. The gospel, verse 19, He has committed to us this message of reconciliation. And so friends, I, I trust again that that will inspire us just in this introduction of this, this message for you today, that, that we would stay motivated, that we won't do stuff for others and get disheartened. We won't serve people or we won't, uh, if you're a deacon, can I suggest deacons, we need you to operate in what God called you to do, but you're not doing it for the elders, you're doing it for Christ. Those of us who lead local churches, we're not doing it for the people or for the people, we're doing it because we serve Christ. All that we do when we go to regions, nations, you business people who are doing incredible things for the kingdom, remember this, you're doing it for Christ, you're not doing it for your employees. And that's a great thing because it's very hard to, to like people if you think you're doing it always for them. But when you're doing it for Christ, you love people. That's the revelation we need. So stay motivated, friends. It's not a rah-rah or cheerlead. It's a real revelation that we need, that we need our own revelation in this time and season to stay motivated. Don't lose the way by losing the why. This is why we do what we do. And I want to tell you, it does help us. It does keep us motivated and we need to be motivated. You know, this incredibly uh, daunting season we're in. 
In my perspective, there are three things happening. There's man is sinning globally like we've never seen it before. There's the sinning, the sin of man that's been exposed more and more. At the same time, we've got the devil raging. And he is raging big time globally right now. And then thirdly, we've got God shaking. So can you imagine? You've got, the, you've got man sinning, you've got the devil raging, and you've got God shaking. What a time, what a season, what a season of uncertainty, but what a season to know. What a time to shine the light, be who God's called us to be, and understand God's working these things out. He's allowing this to happen and wanting this to happen, and the shaking's a good thing. Uh, but know this, God's got this. And so the four responses quickly in this season, if I can give them to you, and not highlight, just highlight you, give the headlines, and hopefully you can find your way in them. The four responses in this season for us is, number one, we need to bow down. We need to come back to the revelation of who Christ is and bow and come humbly before him and come out of the season humbled, not, not backfooted, but humbled, friends. We're not proud. We're not us. We're, we're not about our thing. It's like this bowing down season with, the, with man sinning, with the devil raging and with God shaking. He's bringing us to a place of bowing down and to minister from that position is a good thing because we represent Christ properly. I also believe it's a season in this, the response in this season is, is to draw close. It's kind of the family hour. It's amazing how, how true partnership has begun to get real again. How our local churches are, are more local than ever before. It doesn't mean we neglect the nations and the regions, but we need each other. The need for the churches to work together. The need for individuals to come back to working together. The need for partnership, true apostolic partnership where we can't do this alone. It's family time in a sense where God bringing us together to converge us, to strengthen us, to bring us together for the purposes and the plans of God. So there's this bowing down season we're in. There's this drawing close season we're in. It's not one of these. It's all of these at the same time. It's a lining up season where we've got to line up with kingdom purposes. God's bringing us back as his people, as his followers, as his church, as his people, back to lining up with his purposes and his plans. And then fourthly, it's a rising up season. We've got to rise up in our season. So can I just say to you, friends, please, let's live in all four. Don't pick one you like. Live in all four. It's simultaneously for us. It's, it's bow down. It's come close or draw close. It's line up and it's rise up. And we've got to be in those moments and be that and live that and let the church arise, even in South Africa right now, and keep on moving into the things that God has for us. What I also want to say is it's not an either or season. I think we're really good at doing one thing. And I understand the one thing. And I understand Jesus being the one thing. And I know we can preach Mary at the feet of Jesus, the one thing she needed. And that. And I understand one thing, absolutely. But I believe this season is a, not an either or, but it's an and season. And if, if we lock into one thing, we're going to miss a lot of what God has called us to and what He's wanting us to walk in. So can I just throw some things out to you and say this? It's a converge season, bring together, and a breakout season. It's a neighbor and neighborhood season but it's also a nation season it's not either or it's nations and neighborhoods don't focus and lock in on one God's called us to both and we've got to truly go at both we've got to minister at that level and reach both not choose one that you like it's a obviously always a word and spirit don't neglect the word in the season and please understand the need for the Holy Spirit. That's one of the big lessons is our dependency on him, not on our programs and our plans, but coming back to leaning in again and leaning on the Holy, letting him work in us and through us. So it's word and spirit. It's king 
and kingdom. We can so focus on the kingdom, we can neglect the king. Or we can be so focused on the king that we forget there's a responsibility of advancing the kingdom. So just say to you, friends, king and kingdom season. Call and commission. Not just let's identify the call. No, no, let's commission people, sending them out into the things. Can I also highlight this? It's a doctrine season and a direction season. I mean, many of us are all about direction right now and finding new ways and fresh ways and carrying on with vision and vision strategic. But I want to say, be careful that you're not neglecting or allowing your doctrine to be determined by the mission rather than the mission, the vision comes from the rocks we've put in place, the, the, the doctrine. I mean, friends, I'm watching people literally begin to question doctrine and even leaders begin to, because so much uncertainty, begin to question everything, including what they believe. And here's what I want to tell you. The devil uses gradualism to wear us down and, and people coming at us. And, and when we begin to mess with doctrine, we're losing our governance and our understanding. We've got to be wise. Know what you believe. Settle what you believe. Don't let people talk you out of what God's already revealed to you. And then direction will find its way as we aim for where we're going. We allow these rocks to determine. We live by, 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 by revelation, not by circumstances. Please, it's a dangerous thing. And I'm just challenging us. Don't lose your way when it comes to doctrine. I've said this many times. When doctrine and truth are abandoned and the authority of Scripture is denied, you don't get a liberal Christianity, friends. You get a whole new religion. And that religion is actually perverted by man. And the danger of it all, it attacks the preeminence of Christ and it attacks the authority of the Godhead. Ultimately, when we mess with doctrine, it ultimately denies the authority and preeminence of Christ. And when that's over, it's all over. And so what I want to say, it's not just a question, not just looking, re-looking at doctrine. You're beginning to erode governance and revelation and preeminence and the Godhead authority. And when you mess that up, friends, we are finished. We don't have anything. So I'm not trying to overstate that, but I am saying it's doctrine and its direction. Don't mix the two because we need to have both of those. It's collaboration and conviction. Of course, we're called to collaborate, but we also need to live by conviction and lead by conviction. And my concern right now is that we call it what we call unity for collaboration is a lot of compromise. We not to compromise in our season. We to know the truth. We to live and lead by conviction, especially in a day and age like this. So in your collaboration, don't lose your way and don't compromise. Let's live with conviction. Also, there's missions and methods. Don't forget the mission we call to at the expense of the methods and vice versa. It's establish and enlarge. It's empower and equip. May I just pause for a moment and say, I think in our togetherness, we've been really good at empowering people. We recognize them. We want to send them. We get them going. And, and that's awesome. Keep empowering. But I want to suggest we need to actually equip people in order for them to truly be empowered. Because if you just give people this empowering to go do something, but not teach them how to or equip them in what to do, I think we're causing more harm than good. So my challenge to you and I is don't just focus on empowering. Let's look at equipping people and vice versa. I hope that makes sense to you. It's a multiply and mature. Maturity is still on the, the heart of God. It's the goal for us. And so look to bringing people to maturity, but also look to multiplying in the season. Look at for young and old. It's not an either or. For, I mean, it's, it's not an either or. It's both. But can I just say, while I'm saying this, is that we've got to not exclusively, but intentionally build with the next generation. So old and young, but let's go intentionally build towards these young people so we can raise them up into their 
incredible future God has. You know, we think in weeks, months, and years, but God is a God of generations. God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We've got to build generationally, not just weeks, months, and years ahead. I hope that resonates in your heart. It's about men and women. And let me just tell you, men and women have different roles and responsibilities. And just know that. But we're not about either or. We're about both, because God's about both, men and women. It's about recognizing and raising up. It's about restoring and releasing. It's about coming in and going out. It's about building up and tearing down. It's about uprooting and planting. It's about truth and grace. It's about new and old. It's about redigging and new digging. It's a lengthening and strengthening. It's a new partnerships and restoring old ones. It's about revelation and response. Don't just get revelation and, don't, and not respond to it. God wants us to respond. And, and I know a lot of guys who've got some great revelation in the season, but they're doing nothing with it. And I feel prophetically, and I know I'm not a prophet, but the privileged leader of this NCMI team that most of you are in partnership with, I've said, uh, we had a life team meeting last week, and I said to the guys, I feel this season God's spoken, it's a Luke 5, 5 season for us. Meaning what? Meaning, you know the story in Luke chapter 5, where uh, Peter was fishing, Jesus comes along, they caught no fish, Jesus comes and says, I want your boat, they get on the boat, and he preaches, and then he says, throw your nets out. Now, Peter had fished all night, they've caught nothing, they've cleaned the nets, it's daytime, it's not a good time to fish, but the response was in Luke 5, 5, we have fished all night, we've worked hard all night, but because you say so. And friends, I want to just say, I believe it's revelation and response. You can't just carry revelation without responding. God wants response. And we're in that season because He says so. We're going to do what we've been called to do. Not because it seems right. Not because people are on board or because we have this stuff. Because God said it. That's where we've got to be. So revelation and response. And I also want to say it's a leadership and ministry uh, season leadership and ministry and that's where I want to highlight in my moments with you left of of what that looks like for us you know the axiom is true that a church does not rise higher than its leaders and I know you're doing a this is a leadership focus kingdom leadership but but I want to say does leadership and ministry equal the same thing and I, I want to suggest probably not ministry I think includes a whole lot more than just leadership you see, I, I think leadership is more about influencing people, and that's good and it's right. But ministry is more about bringing impact to people. We need both, friends. We need impact and we need leadership, uh, influence. But if we only focus on influence, it's about taking people somewhere. We're not really seeing people restored to what God wants them to be. And so I, I'm not trying to separate, but I think we mix the two and think we're getting it done and I want to take some time just in this next moment and, and maybe look at a different tactic how the other guys have been preached. I don't know what they shared, but I know that leadership is so vital, so strategic. I'm a huge believer in leadership. It's probably our go-to in what we're about. But I've been looking at Scripture saying, actually, leadership's essential, but so is ministry. And we've got to be good at both if we're going to have the impact and the increase that God determined for us. So leadership is more about influence. Can I say ministry is more about impact? And we need both for greater increase. So let me just highlight a few things about leadership. And then I, I want to just talk a bit about ministry if I can. Leadership is about taking us somewhere. And can I say in, in the kingdom, leadership is about 
Influence is not about control. Please get that, friends. I, I'm shocked to see the abuse that happens in the church because of leaders controlling people. We're not called to control anyone. We're called to influence people. And that's what kingdom leadership is all about. So leadership in the kingdom is influence, not control. But please hear this. It's a huge mistake to confuse an influencer with a leader. Having followers does not, make you, does not mean you're leading. Leadership requires service and sacrifice. So the fact you got followers truly doesn't mean you're leading because we need actually to serve and sacrifice the people that God's called us to lead. Kingdom leadership, I believe, is three things. It's about knowing the way. It's about showing the way. And it's about going the way. And I believe we need leaders marked by the living presence of Jesus that inspires Others to bold faith. We need example leaders, friends. You know, a true shepherd leads the way, but doesn't only merely point the way, right? So we're leading the way. We don't just point the way. We've got to go the way. We need example leaders. We need servant-hearted leaders. We need leaders who are submitted to Jesus. We need leaders who are obsessed with Jesus. We need leaders who are more like Jesus. We need leaders who are actually followers before they lead us. And what I mean by that is they're following Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, which is probably the most quoted scripture that Paul speaks and says, he says this, follow me as I follow Christ. You know, I believe what he's actually saying is don't follow me, Paul, because I'm worthy to be followed. He's saying, follow me as much as I'm following Christ. That's how much you should be following me. And I think that's good for us, friends. We don't want people following us because of who we are. We want people following us because we're following Christ. That's what makes us worthy to be followed. We're following Jesus, who is the one who we all should be following. And so follow me as I, I follow Christ. Can I just say is a pretty audacious statement to make to the average modern church leader you know it presupposes that things that I spend time doing if carefully imitated will have a kingdom revealing effect it presumes a level of spiritual integrity that is wide open for personal inspection as well as private scrutiny it would mean that if my life was to be investigated and I've claimed to be a follower of Jesus I would be found guilty of following Jesus. Not in some areas, not on weekends, not when I'm standing in the pulpit, but every day of my life as a follower of Jesus, if I was being investigated, I would be found guilty of being a follower of Jesus. I wonder, friend, if that is true, because we can't claim we're following Christ if we're not guilty of following Christ. And here's a, here's a few ways we can tell whether we're following Christ in our leadership. Well, humility. Humility is a major fruit and proof that we're following Christ as leaders. Christ-like leaders reject prideful posturing and give preference to humble, empowering leadership that seeks to promote the best of others. You know, it's worthy of note that the early apostles took pride in nothing other than Jesus. I wonder how true that is for us. Another proof to, to show that I am a follower of Jesus, clear evidence in my leadership, is that serving, I'm there to serve. Christ-like leaders will pour out themselves in burden-bearing relationship that models love in action. They model their king by laying aside claims to power or privilege and pour themselves out in selfless deeds of service that only God can see. Courage is another 
fruit or proof that we're followers of Jesus. Courage. Christ-like leaders. Take risks. And I want to tell you, this season requires you and I to be risk takers, not to be crazy, but to be risking. And, and I'm concerned in COVID, it's kind of got us to be a bit cautious and backfooted and conservative. And I understand with, there's so many unknowns, but if you're following Christ, friend, we need courage. And I want to speak courage over you leaders. Whatever you're called to lead, lead with courage. Do what God said. Even if everyone says you can't, God says you can. It's a can do. We must do. But it's not being strong in yourself. It's courage that I've spent time with the Lord. I've been there. Christ-like leaders take risks that are unexplainable apart from Christ's leading. They are attuned to the activity of the Spirit and take courageous steps in uncharted territories regardless of what the cost will be. To them, because the vision is so clear, it takes more courage not to obey than to obey. What about boldness? Courage and boldness go hand in hand. And I just want to say following Jesus personally is what this is all about in leadership. And can I say that Jesus is always going somewhere. So my fellowship with him will be distinguished by the fact that I'm moving into places that I might never have gone before if I were left to my own devices. In other words, I'm going in places that I wouldn't go if I wasn't following Jesus. That's a good sign. And here's the kicker for it all is that also like Jesus I don't go alone but I inspire others to pattern me and go with me where God's called us to go there that's something of what leaders are and I know that the guys have covered I'm sure a whole lot of truth and principles around leadership but now I want to move to this thing and just for the next few moments talk about ministry leadership is about taking people somewhere and friends it's essential you can't get away from it and from genesis right through to revelation leadership is strategic and vital and needed but so is ministry and it's not an either or to end but we've got to highlight some of the ministry side of what we're doing rather than just we're getting people somewhere we want to see people not just have be influenced we want to see people become people where we can have impact on those people see their lives trans transformed as we become greater in the, in the in the things of god bringing us to greater increase which i believe is the season we're in so ministry transforms us into someone and I believe there's no greater model, obviously, of any ministry, of any leadership than Jesus Christ himself. And if I can just challenge us, I love the books and I love the biographies and the, of those who've gone before us. And learn from those people, friends. We can learn a lot from history and from those who've gone before. But let me just challenge you. There's no greater one to pattern your life and ministry over than Jesus Christ. And that's not a cliche. That is where we should be focused on. What did he do? What did he say? What did he highlight? That's what we want to be. That is what we need. Need. more of Christ less great leaders and more of Christ in us Christ in us the hope of glory if we want the world to see Jesus we best act more like Jesus not more like our ministry our people our heroes Jesus Christ pattern your life and ministry around him and I, really, I believe we'll walk in the bigness and stay the course and fulfill the mission and the mandate that God has for us and there's no greater model as I said than Jesus Christ and I'm sure you agree but you know there are three essentials or elements that I'd like to just highlight out of Jesus' ministry, if I can, when it comes to ministry, looking at his life, that serve as an example to all of us in any capacity of leadership, but ministry, because we are all called to minister, regardless of your position in the church. We are all ministers of what it is, bringing life, bringing change, impacting and touching the people around us. That's what Jesus did. So go with me to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. We're going to read the story 
in verse 21. Mark chapter 5, verse 21. Can I, can I also just say this? There's so much talk about what would Jesus do? And I want to tell you, part of that problem with that question is that we're seeing the results of what we think Jesus would do, and it's causing absolute disaster and mess around the world because the church is doing what they think Jesus would do rather than coming back to what did Jesus do? My challenge to you, friends, and to me is let's go back to the Gospels. Let's read the Gospels again, the life of Christ, and then no longer walk away saying, what would Jesus do? But rather, what did Jesus do? And let's go for that. Let's do that because we can all interpret what we think Jesus would do through our hearts, our understandings, our makeup, our capacity, our personality, and we actually cause him more harm than good. We need Christ to be head of the church, the heart of the church, the hope of the church, and we his hands and feet. And the only way we're going to be that is if we come back to who he is and what he did. So Mark chapter 5 verse 21 says, when Jesus had again crossed over by the by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him, and while he was by the lake, then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. Now, guys, you've got to understand the context. He's addressing crowds. There's people waiting for him. He's got the, and this man comes and says, my little girl's sick. I need you to come put your hand. Friends, he left the crowds to go and minister to one guy's young baby daughter because he saw the necessary and the need for what ministry looks like. Verse 24, so that when Jesus went with him, a large crowd followed him. Interesting, when he went, they followed him. He didn't follow the crowds. The crowds followed him and pressed around him. Verse 25, and a woman was there who had been subject, been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she got worse. When, when, uh, verse 27, when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and she touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that which would freed her from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that the power had gone out of his body, out from him. And he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see, the people crowding against you, his disciples answered. And yet you asked, who touched you? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, and told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus to the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they said. I love the Jesus does not get consumed with opinions of people. He knows what he's called to do. Jesus told the synagogue ruler, do not be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone except him and Peter go, James and John, and the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead. She's asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them out, 
He took the child's father and mother, and the disciples were with him, and he went in and there with the child. He took her by the hand, and he said to her, Talitha koam, meaning what? Which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old, and this is, and as this they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this, and told them to give them something to eat. Now friends, let me just say this. This is what I want to highlight about ministry and the difference between leadership and ministry. Three elements to what we see Jesus doing here. Number one, time. Time. Listen, guys, anyone worth their salt in anything, certainly in leadership and in ministry, is busy and gets on with things, knowing with purpose and not wanting to be distracted. I mean, I've, I've grown up in ministry. My dad's been in ministry all my life. I've seen good leaders, great leaders who are faithful in their time, putting time aside. And let me tell you, I believe that time is essential and we better put the rocks in place and we better be faithful and we better keep focused and not be interrupted in that. But, but every day our agenda, if we're good leaders, is full from morning till night. We, we've got prayer, we've got study, we've got appointments, we've got calls. FaceTime now and, and Zoom meetings and global meetings and all these things. And, and then we have interruptions, right? Our to-do to list is very full, always full. We permit few interruptions except for these emergencies that might happen. And then we say people need to get a hold of us. Otherwise, our time, let's be honest, in ministry and in leadership is pretty much taken up and busy and booked out. That pattern is a good sign of efficient and effective leadership. And it's good and it's needed. And I'm not disputing it because I believe it and I live by it. Delegation of responsibility and authority with concentration on your own strengths is needed and it's biblical and it's right. However, after reading through the Gospels again and again and again, something becomes very clear. And you know what it is? Much of Jesus' ministry flowed from interruptions. Let me say that again. Much of Jesus' ministry flowed from interruptions. None of Jesus' miracles were on his to-do list. He did not get up in the morning and say, Today I've got to heal ten lepers, two blind men, cure a paralytic, and set free several demon-possessed people. The same went for his teaching. Obviously, we know he laid out systematic truth and discourse, the Sermon on the Mount that we all love, the kingdom parables in Matthew 5 and 7 and 13 and 24. Of course, he had some very specific things and he had plans and purposes and he lived them out. But also look at what he taught as a result of responding to interruptions. In, in Luke chapter 10, an expert in the law tested him, who is my neighbor? He was interrupted when he was speaking about who is my neighbor and we gained the parable of the great Samaritan. In Luke 15, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered against him, welcoming him sinners, and he responded with the stories of the, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. We would have missed the discipleship of Matthew and Zacchaeus if Jesus had not interrupted his schedule. In John 3, we would not have had the teaching on the new birth had Jesus not taken time with Nicodemus. In John 4, we would have missed the teaching on worship if Jesus had ignored the Samaritan woman. And can I just bring the quintessential, which we've just read, uh, example of Jesus taking time and responding to interruptions is found here in Mark chapter 5. The woman with the issue of blood, which we've just read, when she interrupted Jesus while he was on his way to Jairus. Do you understand? Jesus was interrupted. He was addressing a crowd. Uh, Jairus comes along and says, my daughter. He's interrupted from what he's doing because of his daughter who's dying. Jesus allows that interruption 
direction and he follows Jairus to the house. And on the way to the house from his interruption from the crowds, he gets interrupted again. By who? A lady with the issue of blood. Now, friends, he's been interrupted again from his already interruption. Do you see the pattern here? I'm not trying to build a theology, but I am trying to challenge us to not have it all worked out, all lined up, that maybe we've been great leaders, but we're missing the people God wants us to reach and impact so we can have greater influence in the season that's upon us. I'm not saying don't have a plan. I'm not saying don't structure your life, but I am saying don't be so structured that we're no longer impacting the people around us that God has called, not just some of us, all of us, regardless of your position in the church, even if you're the visionary leader, even if you're on this translocal team, we've been called to reach the people around us and allow for some interruptions. So time is a precious commodity, but don't be so focused on your time and your structure and your to-do list that you're missing the people God has put in place in our lives to reach, to impact, to bring life to, to show Christ to. I trust that grips your and my heart again for what it is God has for us. His daughter was dying. Jairus' request was an interruption to Jesus' schedule. And he says that. And, and leadership, you know what? Jesus arrived on the other side of the lake, a large crowd. And leadership dictates that we give crowd priority. Give your priority to the crowds. Ministry says we give the priority to the need. There's a need rather than a crowd. So Jesus broke away from crowds and accompanied Jairus. And on the way, he experienced another interruption to the interruption. The woman broke through and pressed in and touched him. Could have given them right. He could have kept going. Right on. But he did not. Why? Because ministry is about people. Or should I say it's about persons, a person, one by one. Jesus' life mission included unexplained moments. And when he responded to the needs of individuals, we see it. Leadership says spend time with only influential people because they can give back to you. Ministry says touch the people who cannot give you anything because they also matter to God. Jesus gave his time to others. Why it's important for us to notice something obvious. Sometimes we get so busy, friends, in ministry, we forget ministry is about people. And I'm not saying neglect your responsibilities, but I am saying let's get back to ministering and leading because our time is important, but Jesus shows us interruptions, things happen, and we need to be those people. Let some interruptions come again and watch what God will do in the season. Quickly, number two, touch. Number one is time. Number two, touch. These are elements of ministry we learn from Jesus. Jesus let people get to him. I know it sounds weird, but I'm telling you, it's almost like the, the, the more busy we get in ministry, the less people can actually access us. And it's not about us, but it's about what God wants to do in us and with us and through us. It's not enough to tell our people to go do that. We've got to be available. Let's face it, many models of ministry are so often called successful ministers. The more successful we are, the less available we are something's wrong friends jesus was available there has to be a there's a recent trend we know of important leaders and ministers now bodyguards who waltz them into a meeting let them minister and offload their stuff and walk them out where's that in the bible i, I want to say i understand that we've got to be careful we can't meet with everyone but we better be available and if we're going to serve god if we're going to serve his purposes especially in this season my dear friends whatever your leadership capacity is you better be available to be used of god and people can get to us and connect with us we're not better than anyone else and, I, and again I'm not saying burn out but I'm saying be available that's where Jesus shows us what ministry is about he took time for the individual his ministry took something out of him in verse 30 it says at once Jesus realized that the power had gone from him 
And I love it. William Barclay gives the this analyst analyst with this this story. He talks about this passage. Tells us something about Jesus. This is what he says. It tells us the cost of healing. Every time Jesus healed anyone, it took something out of him. Here is this universal rule in life: we will never produce anything great unless we are prepared to put something of our own very life of our very soul into it. You can't minister to people without being invested in people. No preacher, he says, who ever preached a real sermon descended from the pulpit without feeling of being drained or of something. Why? Because they gave something they had. If ever we are to help people, we must be ready to spend our lives and ourselves and not protect ourselves from people, but be reached and be available and spend and be invested to reach these people around us. The greatness of Jesus was that he was prepared to pay the price of helping others. And that price was the outgoing of his very life. We only follow in his steps, he goes on to say, William Barclay, we only follow in his steps when we are prepared to spend, not our substance, but our souls and our strength for others. We've got to be willing to be touched, people touching people for Jesus in Jesus' name. You know, we are humans and we know that there are five senses that we all possess, sight, hearing, taste, smell and touch. And all of these are important in existence for us to understand what we're about in a world around us. They're all important, friends. But I want to say I wouldn't want to be without any of them. But the one I would probably want less to be without is the sense of touch. It's one that places us in direct contact with, contact with our world. Can you, not, can you imagine not being able to touch your world? Can you imagine not being able to touch those you love? Not being able to touch them might be worse than not being able to see them. I, I don't know. But, but I want to say we are all there. And we touch things every day. And we touch people every day. And most of us don't even think about it. But there are times when we are reaching out and deliberately called to touch people and be available. And Jesus touched them. And one touch might be that one of love or, or passion or tenderness or compassion or help or deliverance or curiosity. Never, most times, our touch can affect change that only... We can bring if we touch and reach out. And so I want to just say, you can't just make time. You've got to be available. Jesus touched. And the third point I want to make, and the last point is this, transformation. Jesus' time, he was available. He was willing to be interrupted. Secondly, he was there to be touched and were able to reach out and engage the people. Not from a distance, not from an office, not through only a cell phone or phone call. But he got there and he mixed with them. Thirdly, transformation. This passage is about the bleeding woman who often referred to as a sufferer's last hope. It was her last hope. Certainly Jesus was the last hope for this woman as well as Jairus' daughter. And notice that the subtle humor in this account of the woman pressing through the crowd to touch him of his garment according to mosaic law just know this this is so important this woman was ritually impure because she had a bodily discharge according to leviticus 15 most of the time in the old testament when a person was contaminated and laid their hands on something it meant they were transferring contamination to that what was pure or innocent for example a leper who touched a non-leper made the non-leper unclean 
A ritually pure person could not touch a woman after childbirth or a Gentile or a vessel touched by a Gentile or certain animals or dead bodies or anything else. An individual who had been defiled by the touch of something or someone impure had to go through this detailed, time-consuming cleansing procedure. And Jesus became contaminated in the minute the bleeding woman touched his clothes. And he further contaminated himself by taking the hand of that little dead girl. Evidently, the bleeding woman thought she could touch Jesus, get healed, and then meld back into the crowd without being noticed. But Jesus called for her and said, who touched me? And the woman knew what had happened. And that's why the text says she fell at her feet in fear to say to him it was her. Why was she afraid? She knew she had defiled a holy man. If Jesus had been a Pharisee, he would have lit, her, lit, lit into her. And how dare you touch me? And how you contaminated me? Get away from me. But you know, friend, under the law, when the impure touched the pure, the pure were made impure. Listen to this. When Jesus touched the contaminated, when, sorry, but with Jesus, when the contaminated touched the uncontaminated, the uncontaminated decontaminated the contaminated. When Jesus touched them, he gave them life and he cleansed them. They didn't make him impure. What a radical truth. That's the Jesus we serve. That's the power we have. That's what he's given to us to go and be his hands and feet in ministry and in leadership. There's this reverse force flow between law and the gospel. The law is all about impurity. But Jesus, instead of woman impurity defiling Jesus, the wholeness, his wholeness, he cleansed her. He does the same thing with our sin, makes us righteous rather than making him sinful. And I want to just say ministry is about transformation, friends. It's not about numbers, not about followers, not about gatherings and groups. It's about transformation. We need to see people transformed. And that's what we see. Jesus did that. He baptized. He gave us those things to do. And so let me just highlight these things about Jesus. Our model of ministry must always be it takes time. It's about touching and being available. It's also about transformation. And Jesus' touch is personal. It's intimate. And we've got to get back to being some personal people again who are available to connect with people. It's a powerful touch. He touches, a, he touches a Simon and he becomes a Peter. He touches a Jacob and the deceiver becomes the priest. It becomes Israel, the prince of God. He touched, he, his touch transformed Abraham to Abraham. His touch changed Moses the murderer into Moses the leader of the people of God. He touched changed James and John and the sons of thunder into early martyr and the apostle of love, respectively. His touch changed Saul the persecutor into Paul the preacher to the church. His touch is powerful. His touch is purposeful. Humanity, my dear friends, is mere clay biding its time between the birth of the grave and no hope and purpose until he touches us. And when he touches, it changes everything. And he's called us to be touched by him, that he allow him to minister in us. But can I also say that he'll minister through us? And we've been empowered and equipped. We've been. Uh, Acts chapter 10, 38, it says that it was he, as Jesus went about doing, uh, it was God, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. With the power, with power and with the Holy Spirit. And he went about doing good 
and healing all those who were under the oppression of the enemy, for God was with him. He anointed God. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, man. He anointed him as in his humanity. I want to say he's anointed us. We have that same anointing. He's equipped us. He's anointed us. We've got to go and be it and go and do it. And in this season, don't get so consumed with min- leadership that we're missing the moments that we got to reach out. We've got to, I, I believe we'll see way more results. If I can, can just land with this, we will see way more results in this season if we stop looking for results. I talked recently, a guy was telling me about winning souls. I understand the concept, but it's not in the Bible. We don't win anything. We're not about winning souls. We're about reaching people. We're about reaching out to desperate people. Not about getting another number in the church. It's about reaching out to people. And Jesus wasn't a result-driven man. He, he was about compassion. Can I say, you want more results? Stop looking for results and come back to a heart of compassion and heal and reach out out of care and concern and compassion and we will see more results. But if it's about a result, I don't think we really care and we're not going to see the fruit God intended. Let's come back to caring. And the way to do that, can I tell you? Three things. I'm not even looking at my notes. I'll give them to you here. Number one, practice the presence of Jesus. What do I mean by that? Abide in Him. Live for Him. Recognize Him. Make room for Him. Make space for Him. Connect with Him and we'll represent Him more. So in any ministry, in any leadership, practice the presence of Jesus. Secondly, practice the presence of people. How about we treat people we come in contact with, those we know and those we don't know, as if Jesus really did die for them and as if they really were made in the image of God. We would honor all cultures and all people and all classes and the division we're seeing around the world right now, even in the church, would go away if we just honored people the way God intended. Practice whatever your position is, the presence of Jesus. Practice the presence of people. And lastly, Practice the presence. I uh, practice being a servant. And what do I mean by that? Man, whose feet are you washing now? And I'm not saying physically are you washing people's feet, but are you serving or are you being served? And when we're washing people's feet, Jesus showed us that's what he did. It keeps us with this heart of a servant. It keeps us humble, keeps us serving people, and we're going to see the fruit. And so, friends, I realize it's different what I've shared to perhaps what you're expecting when it comes to leadership. But I want to say let's not overemphasize leadership at the expense of ministry. It's both. And we believe this is a season of increase. There's a shift in tide for us as a church globally, certainly for you guys in South Africa. But let's not get so busy with leading that we're missing the moments that God wants us to have great impact. Let's be the leaders God's called us to be. Let's be the church God's called us to be. May you go for it. Be encouraged in the season. Go for it. Be strengthened. I ask you please to just go home and read through these texts again. Get them in us. Not enough to hear it. Let's get it in us. Let God adjust our lives. Let's go and be all that He's called us to be. We love you guys. We cannot wait to be with you again. We're longing to come back to your great nation. Just open your borders and we can come. But we hopefully will see you sometime next year. But we appreciate you, your partnership. Let's go be all that God's called us to be. Take care. God bless you. Stay safe.